When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues, three opinions, one Everton podcast. Welcome to episode 47 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast, where this week I'm delighted to say we've been joined by resident Portuguese football expert Aaron Barton. Aaron, thanks for coming on the show, mate. Thanks for having me on, boys. Been looking forward to coming on for a while, so yeah, looking forward to it. Now, more importantly than the work you do in terms of Portuguese football, you are an Everton fan as well, which also helps when it comes to coming on our show. Yeah, Evertonian, yeah, season ticket holder in the in the top balcony, yeah. Now, a lot a lot of people may know may know that you've got uh, a really successful website and and Twitter account under the name of now again. Forgive me pronunciation of this. We've been discussing this off air. I meant to say this, and it's. Prashima Janade, is that how about that? That was, you know what, that was a, that was a good effort, that. Prashima Janade, yeah, really good efforts. Well done. Good work, Mike, good work, son. I've been, during lockdown, I've been trying to work on my pronunciation of other uh, main European languages, so obviously it's it's nice to see that it's, it's bearing fruit. Oh, <laughs> it's a good effort and not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's, yeah, admirable, yeah. <laughs> He's, he's, oh, trying, in, he's, trying to, he's trying to uh, slide into Andre Gomez's DMs in Portuguese. That's what he's doing. Well, we'll, we'll, <laughs> hey, listen, we'll come on to Andre Gomez shortly. I'm sure you know he's going to form a decent part of our discussion. But yeah, Andre Gomez is, is a personal favourite of mine. Um, oh. And oh, you know, I, 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 I hopefully listens to this and, and he knocks around at ours with the um, care package during during this difficult time. <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> we can. But it, just just going back to the way that you do because obviously you. Yeah, you're a Liverpool resident, so you're South Liverpool, like like all of those lads as well. Um, why why Portuguese football? What got you interested in, in uh, Portuguese football? You know what? I, I got asked this recently, and I said that my response was the amount of times I've been asked this question, yet I still can't seem to formulate a proper, decent response. Because I think with, with some things, there's just no explanation. So I'll try and take it back. So when I was... Must have been about seven or eight. I remember watching watching the Euros, the start of the Euros in Portugal in two thousand and four, and I was just getting into to to footy at that time, and obviously knew about Mourinho's um, Porto side. And I remember watching watching the Euros just as you do as a kid. Any any team, any nation doesn't matter what it was. And I remember watching Portugal in the group stages, and I was just like completely gripped, completely like transfixed by this team. And obviously they had a, a young Cristiano Ronaldo at the time. But it was more it was it was Figo, it was Nuno Gomes, it was Ricardo, Ricardo Carvalho, it was the wingers, the, the full backs, Ballet up front, Rui Cost. It was just player after player after player. And I remember my mum she said uh, 
I, I like I'll get you the kit the way the way you did when you were a kid, just have the full kit. So I was like, yeah, I'd love that, I'd love that. She was like, Are you sure you want the Portugal one? No other country, and I I, I was like, no, no, I'll, I'll get the, I'll get the Portugal one. So I got the kit, and I I just I wouldn't take it off, would not take it off, and and as obviously as Portugal progressed through the through the tournament, they ended up playing England, and um, yeah, suffice to say, I was in the full Portugal kit that day for that game, and I remember I remember thinking at, at that point like. England are playing Portugal here as like a test. <laughs> what are you gonna support? Who are you gonna go for? And it and it was it was it was Portugal. But obviously that it carried on for the next the next couple of uh, the next couple of years. And and I always thought like those things as a child that you might be into, or it might be you know a particular team that you look for results for. It it might be just something that catches your eye at that time. But usually it passes. And as you get older, you think, oh, remember I was, you know, completely into this or that or whatever. And it just never left. It, it, it just never left. Uh, and then as I got older, I got to 16, 17, 18. And I started going over to, I started going over to Portugal to, to, to watch games. And my team, I've always been FC Bord. They were always my team. They were my team from, from day one, whether it's the blue and white of Everton that was that was my draw and it was like that was my team but obviously I didn't know too much about the club side of things until I was about 14 15 because trying to get older Portuguese football trying to watch those league games I mean yeah you could catch Benfica Sporting or Porto on, on the on the TV but when it came to those smaller sides the Braga's Guimarães those type of teams it was quite difficult so obviously you know the internet by hook or by crook I'll leave that up to your imagination. I was I was able to to get some of these streams to the games and, and yeah, I, I just anything I'd watch, anything national team, club games, and then once I started going to Porto and, and interacting with the fans and it, it I could sort of see it becoming it weren't just, you know, a hobby, it was it was a passion. I, I treated it the same way as I treated going going to Goodison. It was the same it was the same vibe. It was the same sort of feeling it gave me. And then fast forward to about 2018. I remember looking for some, some just some good quality journalism on 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 the Portuguese leagues and and just like what you guys do, like club specific things, podcasts to listen to. And obviously around that time, he was this he was this big emergence of of you know like the tactical. All these blogs that that sort of sprouted up that were looking at like tactical analysis and and podcasts and and videos and interviews, but for the Portuguese side of the game, I couldn't get any further than you know just a, a BT article that they've obviously got someone that speaks Portuguese who's just translated something from a Portuguese newspaper or a Portuguese media publication, and you know said this is it, but it weren't really insightful. And at that time, I was studying. English literature in uni in, in John Moore's and so my passion there was with you know I enjoyed writing essays I enjoyed writing short and, and long form and, and I enjoyed analysing things because being on the English course it give you you know like an analytical way to look at the world and a friend I can't remember who it was or it might have been a family member someone said oh why don't you do it so I was like no I, what do I know I haven't got 
you know, the means. He said, you've got a laptop, you've got a microphone. You know, you watch Portuguese football probably more than anyone that I know. You speak English, so it's in your native language. You know, why don't you do it? And I thought, all right. And then I started it up and, and then it sort of just took off. So yeah, very long, long-winded answer there, but it should give you the complete <laughs> from then right up to now in five minutes. And that's, you know, that listening to that and, and how it all happened for you, because obviously the, the people out there now, I mean, ourselves, we're, we're a little bit different in terms of, we, we do this as a as a pastime and a hobby, say, and it's nothing which, you know, we're not looking at a career in journalism or nothing like that. Um, but there's a lot of people now who, who are interested. You, you look at, like you, you mentioned then, about the tactical side of things is sort of taken off, you know, over the last, say, four, five, six years, and you see a lot more of um, the, you know, a lot more people who, who look at that side of the game, don't they, in, in terms of, you know, looking at each player's tactics, you know, from whether it be from set pieces, how you set up during a game and, and things like that. But, you know, a lot of people are interested in that side of football now, aren't they, and, and looking at analysing, being data analyst or what have you, um, and trying to get involved in the game. So, you, so you're sort of showing that it, that it can be done. But it's, it's intriguing that you obviously... Going back to when the Euro was held in Portugal, that, that was the thing that really really hooked you because that, that Portuguese side and over the late 90s into the early 2000s, there was some quality Portuguese players, wasn't there? Yeah, fantastic. The That golden generation, and it, it started be, before me as well. It, it started, like you say, the, the late 90s, early 2000s. So the, the core of that squad in Euro 2000, which coincidentally played England as well, again, then... They went into Euro 2004, but obviously those young talents, they were now the experienced players. You know, you, you Luis Figo, he was now a, a you know, a, a superstar, a worldwide phenomenon. And, and he was in 2000, but that four years on top just, just meant that those those talented players had now become world-class icons, Champions League winners. And it was, it was also the youth coming through, like the likes of Ronaldo playing... And it was just that mix, that blend. There was just something about that team. And and I, I mentioned before, we all have teams that we that we look for, you know. Especially in in England, I think because we're so we're so mad with 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 football that it does go beyond the club that we support. So, you know, if you pick most people, I think you know you say Barcelona or Real Madrid, they'll have a preference. Or if you say AC Milan or Inter, they'll they'll have a preference. Some people just appreciate good sides, but some people they do feel like they have. Like even the tiniest the connections with clubs, which I imagine you guys have, and for me that's just what that was. I was, I was, I was into this team. I liked the way they play, and then once the Euros was over, usually that had just went away. And I, and by the time two thousand six rolled around for the World Cup, I'd have been like, oh, you know, is Portugal again? But from that time when the when two thousand four ended, that just made me want to go back. That just made me want to think, I'd love to see the Euro 2000 and go back to 98 and 96 and 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 then also the top divisions I didn't know when I was watching that 2014 I didn't know which which players played for Porto or Benfica I didn't know who they played for they were just oh they played for Portugal but then obviously as as you get older you you become a bit more invested in it it's just the same thing with Everton as well I remember going to match as a kid but obviously I remember and I know a lot more about Everton now than I did then I, back then, it was just, you know, it, it's like a child's love. It's not really based on anything. It's just you see something and you either like it or you don't like it. And for me, Portuguese football was just 
I loved it. I love that story there, mate. You just told there about how you got into it because I remember as a child, we, you know, we all probably remember like the World Cups, don't we? You know what I mean? And the big tournaments and you explained it great there because I, I remember I fell in love with Italian football when I was a, a young kid, similar to what you were describing there. Um, and my first proper World Cup, probably from like very vague memory, was like Italian 90. I can remember that particularly well. And it's regarded now as one of the best World Cups, isn't it? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of not just the football, but, you know, everything that went with it, the Pavarotti thing and everything. But not long after that, I watched a documentary recently on BT Sport. I don't know whether you guys saw it about the emergence of football Italia on Channel 4 and how successful that was and how everyone in Britain, because Channel 4 on a Sunday had Italian games that were live on Channel 4. I mean, you'd never get that now. Mm. Like a whole generation of people fell in love with Italian football then. Uh, and you, what you just described then is quite similar. You know, a lot of people then fell in love with a certain team. Then they followed them in the World Cups or the Euros, things like that. Uh, and it's similar to me. You know, I've... I fell in love with a lot of a lot of those players. I mean, Milan was my team, AC. Um, you know, that team then. I mean, you just mentioned Rui Costa. I mean, you and I have talked about him on, on, on Twitter in the past. I mean, I absolutely loved him as a player. I mean, he, he was he was not quite Figo's level in terms of stardom, but I think he was equally as gifted. Mm, yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think he's... Uh, there was uh, an argument recently on... on I, I put a thing out on on the website, well, it was on Twitter first, where I asked for people to vote for their, their top five Portuguese players of all time, regardless of, it doesn't have to just be talent, but it could be like players that are special to you. And, and behind, I think behind Ronaldo and behind Eusebio, it was, it was Rui Costa. He, he, he got more, more nominations than Figo because he is the best. He was the, one of the best number 10s ever. He's Portugal's best number 10. A lot of people say, Either him or Deco, but for me, I, I'm I'm like you. I lean more towards Louis Costa. He was just like a magician when he was on the ball. Yeah, Pete, Pete, you were a fan of him, weren't you? I was a fan of his socks. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You're, you always know he's going to be a player if he's got the short sock look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. To be fair. Tell you what, though, Aaron, listening to you, I was expecting when you you said about following Portuguese football for you to pick one of the big three. I thought that I thought one of them were going to be your club. So for you to say that actually you follow, you know, a, a Portuguese team outside of that, I think really struck me. Uh, no, no, it, I, Porto. Porto. Porto, oh, yeah. Porto. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. there you go. Get <laughs> the pronunciation, Pete. Come on. Yeah, I, did, I didn't. What I, what I was going to say, that's really unheard of, isn't it? Most most people follow one of those three teams: Benfica, Porto, uh, or Sporting. It's it's virtually unheard of, isn't it, for somebody to actually follow a team outside of that, even in Portugal? Yeah, it's it's so the it's the way the pop the population is so concentrated that obviously your you, you two major cities are, are Lisbon and Oporto, which is Porto, and um, yeah, you've got. The clubs down south, and then you've got the clubs in in Madeira as well. So the Madeira Islands, you've got you've got uh, Maritimo over there, and there. When I went over to Madeira, they were my. I I went went to a game over there, and I bought a shirt, and 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 I've got like a little a little affiliation for them. But yeah, you're right. A lot of the clubs, and even when you look at what they're getting through the gates, the attendance. When you look at the attendance outside the big three, 
it's tiny, but then you also look at the the concentration of 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 the population. Is that it's not a it's not a big it's not a big country, the, the, because because they manage to do things on a on a on a big scale on a global scale, both internationally players and clubs and managers as well. You tend to think of them as a as a European powerhouse alongside the likes of of Spain and England and Italy. But I mean, it's a population of of just over ten million. It's it's not a big country at all. So. Yeah, it does tend to be um, Sporting and Benfica, and then and then obviously Porto, and then they've there's another club in Porto as well, Bovis, who've they've also won the league, the Premier League. Only yeah, yeah. only two clubs outside of 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 the top three have ever won the Premier League in its entire history, which goes back to what what you're saying about the way it's followed, and that's Bill and in in 1945, I think it was 46 season, and then Bovis in, in 2001. Uh, 2000 sorry so that does reflect that, that those they're the massive clubs they're the dominant the dominant clubs and yeah i think it would have been a bit more hipster if i if i was into a club outside of the big three but i'm a i'm a commoner <laughs> it's funny though you should mention uh belenenses then because i went over to lisbon a, a few years ago on a, on a stag do and we went to a belenenses game it was like um the, the grounds like where you see athletics track that's how, how, how I can describe it. Yeah, it's about wow. probably 50, 60 people knocking around the stands, including, say, 10 of us on a stag do. You didn't serve alcoholic lager. It was non-alcoholic lager. It was absolutely vile. <laughs> um, but but they, they, it was, I think it was Belenenses against Chavez was, was the game. And uh, Chavez, I think we won the game 1-0. But, it, you know, it's, as you talk about attendances there, there was literally, as I say, you, you could probably maybe maybe double figures, maybe under under a hundred maybe. Um, it wasn't it wasn't big and you know it was it was I think it was a Friday night. Yeah. Um, it was it was lovely weather, you know, walking around the city, fantastic city, Lisbon, you know, and it's just amazing that but obviously they're competing with two massive, massive sides and you know Benfica and Sport and Lisbon, two absolutely huge sides in, in Portugal and you could argue well Benfica in, in, in terms of European football. But it is it's it's very much, you know, like you said, I didn't even realise Portugal's population was ten million, which is which is incredible. That they've just they've got they've got three top sides, you know. Yeah, yeah. What well, what's interesting there about um about Bell and Incest then is that the there might be a, a, a reasoning behind why that attendance was so low. So obviously we're we're all familiar with the the MK Dons story and what happened there. And something similar happened at, at Bell and Incest as well. So Basically, what happened was, and this was this was fairly recent, like well, it's the last couple of years. Uh, Bellin in, in Portugal, the owners and the money it goes to what's called a, an SAD. So you'll see that some clubs will have a, a, a an SAD in their title, and basically what that is, that's like an open account, a finances account, so that everyone can see where the money's coming in, where the money's going out. It's sort of like like a bank, like a bank that's attached to the club. And Bellingham says this historic club who play at um, the Ristello Stadium, which is, you know, it's 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 a big stadium, especially for Portuguese football. They had a, a fallen out with the with the SAD, and it ended up going to court. And then Bellingham says the original Bellingham says got stripped of, um, got stripped of their position in the league. So they went. Right down to the the, the bottom tier of, of Portuguese football, and the new Belenenses got to keep their position in the league. But all they had to do, they had to change the name. So 
So they had to put a, an SAD at the end and they had to change the badge. So all the, the supporters that follow the original Belenenses, they now have like five, six, seven, eight thousand fans going to watch what is basically a Sunday league game where the attendances are usually about 20. And then the Belenenses that stayed in the Premier League only have a couple of fans because everyone basically hates them. Because the fans that stay, it's it's the equivalent of, of of Everton. Something happening to Everton, and then another club moving into good, uh, moving into to Goodison Park and, and and staying in the Premier League. And you've got the choice: you can either go to Wally Hall Park and watch the original Everton play, or you can go to Goodison but watch with the new fans that want to see the Premier League football. I'd like to think that most people would say, oh, "I'm going to go to you know to Walton Park and and." But then, obviously, you've got 39,000 average spectators then going to watch a, a Sunday league game, which is what's happening in Portugal with that club. So that's a, a yeah, it's, it's mad that you should mention that. I've never, I've never been to that stadium either. So you've, you've one nilled me there with that. You're not, you're not missing that, mate. You're definitely not missing that. And to be honest with you, it's a class story that, though, isn't it? It's a class story, though. Yeah, it's, it's nice in the fact that they all, they all still go and, and they've had. Since they've went down, they've had back to back to back to back. I think this year will be the fifth promotion. Um, but yeah, they're a, they're a top club. The original club, they're a top club. They they've messaged me a couple of times on on Twitter and stuff and said if you ever want to come to the game, if you ever want to, you know, get access, meet the players. They asked me, didn't want to meet the president of the club for an interview, and I was like, you know, that'd be amazing. And then all this happened, so I was meant to be over in Portugal in the summer. So that's that put a, a needle in that, but. Pick up next year, hopefully. Yeah, that, 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 that's an unreal story, isn't it? As you say, very, very sort of similar to your sort of MK Don's, you know, Wimbledon situation, that, yeah. that, that kind of thing. And it's, it, you know, absolutely amazing to think that, you know, where uh, you've got thousands going to a lower, real lower league game and you've got a handful of people going into like a, a pretty a pretty big ground. Because that's the position of the ground. It's, it's, it's in a lovely part as well, uphill. Yeah. But I think it overlooks. There's like there's, there's water beyond. It's a, it's a fantastic setting, you know. Yeah. Um, but just just to go back in terms of the the, the, the players that we've mentioned there, obviously the, the likes of you, you Costa Figo, uh, you know Gomez, pe- people people like that. Let let's let's look at what we've had in terms of Portuguese players at Everton because obviously thinking back when when I was sort of growing up and I know we're, we're of similar age, you're probably a bit younger than us, uh, Aaron, to be honest, but. It was your likes of your, your Abel Xavier, um, Nuno Valente. Then you've had probably the one the standout as we were growing up was probably Manny Fernandez, wasn't it? I know Lee absolutely waxes lyrical about Manuel Fernandez, but but when he first came over that initial spell, he what what a, what a player he was. He was honestly he was he was he was incredible. I remember watching watching him and thinking one I was made up because. We had we had a, a a Portuguese player that was that was that good, and then and then also he was at Everton, so it was like it was the two loves like sort of intertwined. It, it, it was amazing, and then obviously that that first spell you mentioned that first spell. I mean everyone always goes back to that the 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 Arsenal performance, especially that that little clip of him in the midfield. Just yeah, absolutely yeah. ripping. I think it's Fabregas and they just absolutely tearing people apart. And then, obviously, it never worked out in terms of the transfer, which which he's spoken openly about and said he, he wanted to come to Everton. That was 
he, you know, he, he refused to play for um, he refused to play for Benfica in the in the preseason, and then refused to play for them in a Champions League qualifier because he said, no, I'm, I'm I'm going to Everton. I'm going to play UEFA Cup football with Everton, and then, um, basically, it, it it never happened. He ended up then going to Valencia. Um, his time at Valencia wasn't wasn't the best, and then he came back to us in that second spell, but. I think everyone knows that that second spell it 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 felt like it sort the the fire had gone out a little bit, but I mean that that first spell like you say you probably all got the same experience as I have. I mean he was what a magical footballer he was. Yeah, it, it, Mike said I um, I was a big fan. I was a big fan of him. I mean I'm a firm believer in football. You can you can pretty much tell a player's a player, can't you? Within 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 what five minutes of watching him really. He was classic Portuguese. I was going to say, like, you know, low bags and bags of technique, wonderful balance, could see a pass. I think that was an, under, an underrated part of his game as well. He used to love, like, a no-look little... You know, go to spray out wide and play it down, you know, play it through to the, to the central striker. But that game against Arsenal, I remember, you're right, I think he put the whole their whole midfield on their backside in, like, a 15-second spell, didn't he? Um yeah. And um, it was, it, I, I think we would, if he'd have stayed with us, I'd love to have seen how his career would have gone because I think he's almost like a wasted talent, really. Cause he, he's in Russia now and he's been there a while, hasn't he? He's kind of settled over a, over in Russia and it's, it's a shame, really. Yeah, he, he had a he had a mad a mad rejuvenation like period this this mad resurgence recently. I say recently about two years ago, but yeah, you're right. He, he he's in Russia and sort of just moving towards obscurity and then. In 2018, he got called back up purely because they couldn't ignore him. He was putting in like fantastic performances, but he had about it must have been about seven or eight year gap playing for Portugal, and then he ended up going to the World Cup. He went to the 2018 World Cup, and for us to think, well, he was playing for Everton in in the 06 07 season, and he's playing at a World Cup, you know, 11, 10, 11 years later, but. Yeah, I think he, he could he have done more Jordan that time, definitely. I'd have loved him to for that deal to have, have went through and it is weird. I can't remember who we spoke spoke to. I think it might have been in the Everton programme, um, to Everton officially and, and he said he was waiting for this for the transfer basically and, and, and it just never came. So it, his team they were like, Yeah, we're working on it, we're working on it and then he got the call to say you you're going to Valencia and he was like, What? He, he completely perplexed by it, and I think he he feels the way he speaks about Everton. You can tell there's a bit of there's a bit of a bit of melancholy in there, a bit of sadness in there, because he probably thinks, you know, if we'd have kicked on in Europe and and he'd have been able to stay and we'd have been able to to you know build build that team because he had that he had that grit as well that we needed that little bit of 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 fight that little bit of um you know he 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 he, 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 he wouldn't stink. On the on the pressure, which is, and especially with with a Portuguese player, you t- you tend to think flair, you know, technicality and you know good technical ability. But he was he was hard as well. He, he didn't seem it, but he, he had that bit of bite in him. He really was he, he sort of came to Everton at a time where we were trying to become more of a football inside. I think we were really hard to beat. We had a lot of grit. I think David Moyes was trying to get us to play, I think, better football. You know, it was at a time where we were crying out for wingers or creative players. And even Arteta, at the time he came to Everton, was a gamble, wasn't he? He was a player we had to develop. Whereas Fernandes just came in 
bags of confidence, bags of ability, and really excited everyone. So it's it's a real shame it never worked out for him. Yeah, massively, mate. I think didn't wasn't it weird? Wasn't he halfway through an Everton game when he was there with his agent, and then he suddenly left or something? Is, is that right? Yeah, do you remember? Yeah, that? he he went he went to watch it. I can't remember the, what the game was, but yeah, that was in that interview as well in the program. Um, yeah, he 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 came and, and watched the game, and and his intentions were were so clear. But you like to think that if a, you know if a player wants to move and the club wants to move, how on earth does some transfers just just not happen? But it's, I suppose, you know, agents and, and, you know, they might have demanded a bigger fee or whatever, but he never once said that it was anything to do with, with wages. I mean, not like you would, but I feel like if someone wants that deal that much, it must have been other complications that, that we don't know about. But he wanted it, you know, Everton wanted it. But again, it might be on the club as well. It might be, especially during those times, financially, we, you know, we haven't been the most transparent club especially during that tenure and you know some say that Moyes didn't get the backing you know as good a backing as he could have had that's that's not for me to say but but we don't know but in an alternative universe he, he played for Everton and, and you know we, we got into the Champions League and you know we had, a, we had a, a good couple of years but unfortunately for him unfortunately for us it, it didn't happen and then that second spell um I don't know. It, it, there was just something about that second spell that wasn't. It wasn't the same. You definitely signed him on Footy Manager, didn't you, for Everton? <laughs> but my my Everton team on 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 Football Manager is usually just yeah eleven Portuguese, <laughs> and then a couple of um, couple of homegrown lads on the bench. <laughs> talking talking of Portuguese players now and the influence of Everton, the the one player which. Well, automatically, should spring to mind for the majority is a is Jose Gomez. Mentioned earlier on, and obviously at the start of the show, but he's someone who, as a you know, the, the three of us have always been big fans of his, and seeing what he went through when he obviously had the, the dislocation uh, against Tottenham, um, just obviously recently until obviously the the, the lockdown situation came in, he, he came back and he showed glimpses of what Jose Gomez is all about. We've always thought that Jose Gomez can can control a game. We mentioned earlier about Portuguese players very, very technically good. Um, he's good on the ball, Andre Gomez, and he can control the midfield. What What are your thoughts on Gomez? Because for, for me, he's a player I think that we should be be building a side around. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. He, I think, I think the thing is with with Gomez is that he does the basics right, and then he does the other stuff on top. And and as as his initial spell when he when he came on loan. And we were all, you know, we were all we were all in love with him, and then and then and then we got the deal done, and then started to see like little pockets of criticism, especially at the match. I don't know whether you guys have experienced it as well, but yeah, just yeah. like expecting him to 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 be this player that's you know, and people citing like his his, his goals and assists and stuff, but he, that's not that's not his type of play. He can if you give him. The right, the right team around him. He he can dictate a game, and he can, you know, he can control the tempo. And and if he's got, he's okay. You know, he's okay defensively. If he's if he's got a more defensive player by him, then that gives him the the, the power then to to go forward and to play these little passes. And you very rarely see him lose the ball. I mean, when he was when he was at Valencia, he was playing in. He used to play in a in a four three three. 
in a, in a three-man midfield with a with with a more defensive midfielder in there. He could play on the right hand side of him. He could play on the left hand side of him, and then he's, at times as well he play he play out wide. He used to play out on the left. I remember, and this was under it was this was under Nuno Nuno Espirito Santo, who's now the Wolves manager. He used to play him sometimes as a as a maybe in a three-man midfield on the left hand side to to come out as a as a winger, and. I, he did that very well, and then I think at Everton we haven't seen. I mean, his his, his goals and stuff. The the obviously he probably thinks he should have better numbers than, than what he's got, but he's got the ability to be in a right team to be a, a very very good player. That's what we saw at Valencia, and people talk about his time at Barcelona, but I mean, there's games against Barcelona where he was being playing played as a as a as a defensive midfielder on his own, in front of a back four, like a Busquets-type role. Well, I don't think that's his, his, that's his position, because he can play those those balls between... The, he can split the lines, he can split the defence, he can play those nice one-twos in the pockets. But I think his, his main job is just to keep it ticking over. And I think when he's not setting the wheel, the like people are going, oh, he's bang average. But you need... you, you not, to, not to say he's bang average, but you do need a player that... that can do those basic things right, and I feel like at Everton, sometimes I send some midfielders. They, you think they can't even pass a ball, and then you've got someone that that can. But it's like, oh, why isn't he? Why isn't he taking on four players and shooting from twenty yards? But that that's not what he does. And that that was a question I really wanted to ask you about where you see him fitting in under Ancelotti, because it's clear Ancelotti's a, a fan of him. I think his comments was it um, around the Arsenal game were really yeah. telling. He said he's 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 going to start next week. Yeah, but can he play in a four four two? Do you think Ancelotti will need to change it a bit to to sort of stick Gomez in? Well, like I said, going back to the four three three, playing as that that right side, either the right side of centre mid or the left side of centre mid, you have got those other two bodies next to you, and you have got that that defensive fella behind you, so it can it can afford you that that freedom in a four four two. Obviously, you've just got the two in the middle of the park. Can he work with with? I mean, where has he played a minute with uh, Jean Philippe Gabamin yet? Did he get injured before? Have they played together? So it's like you don't you don't know what he'd be like with a more defensively minded player. And yeah, and then he can be he can be the one who who will play those attacking passes and dictate the tempo a little bit and still still defend. But I think a lot of the criticism. That has came from, you know, can he play in a 4-4-2? Our midfield options this season have been... It feels like we've just been hit constantly with with injury and, and obviously we had Holgate in there and, and trying to switch between different formations to try and make do with what he's got. But I think next season, we'll see if he can play in a 4-4-2 and if he can do it well because, like you said, Ancelotti, to come out and, and, and praise someone like that and say, yeah, he'll be starting, he knows... When he's on the ball, quite clearly that he's 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 our most technically gifted uh, centre midfielder. He's going to be the one that's going to dictate the tempo. He's going to be the one that can can try and control the game. Um, obviously the injury was 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 terrible, and and you know who knows what he would have been doing during that time. But when he came back, I thought he looked okay. I thought he looked good, and it, I mean, I remember the first game when he came back, and he was just all over. He was literally all over in a good way he was all over the pitch he was everywhere and it was like didn't look like someone who just came back from from a you know what should have been a long-term injury I think his return time was a lot quicker than anyone expected but I'm looking forward to that to next year because I do think 
he'll be a key part of this Carlo Ancelotti team and and he's playing underneath a manager that trusts him and also a manager that knows how to get the best out of out of players. He, if he thinks you're not going to fit in his formation or you're not pulling your weight in that you know required space uh, place, you either alter the team to try and make it fit or you decide that that player is not good enough. I don't think Ancelotti would do that with Gomez. I think if he has to alternate a little bit, then he might do. But I, I just think... I'm looking forward to next season, to be honest. I mean, I know we've still got a bit to play this season, but I feel like next season you'll you'll see Gomez hit, hitting his stride. Hopefully, anyway. I think, I think that, guys. Come on. So, sorry, yeah. So just just to pick up on what you said about the you know the partner he has alongside him in that four four two system. We have been battered when it comes to losing players in that sense in that sense of mid. We we lost our, our best centre mid and the legs in the midfield in in Atsugana Gay. Obviously, yeah. so difficult to replace anyway. Rosin, Gabamin, um, and it just for, for him. Obviously, after sort of a game and a half, that was him done. We haven't seen him. Haven't seen him since, and he's he's really struggled to recover from the injury that he's that he's got. But uh, you know, when, when you when you're chopping and changing, obviously Gomez got injured himself anyway. But when you're changing that partner around uh, alongside him, whether it be Snydlin. Tom Davis, as you say, Mason Holgate slotted in there as well. Fabian Delph has come in. It's not been particularly ideal, and, and we do need a little bit uh, of consistency in terms of the, the two players in the middle of the park in, in the 4-4-2 system. Um, but there's there's no doubt the, the ability of Andre Gomez and, and the quality that he's got. And we, and we for me, we, we are a much better side with someone like him in the 11 than, than without him, because when he was out injured, we, we massively missed that, that that little bit of calmness on yeah. the ball in midfield and someone, as I said earlier on, you can just dictate midfield and dictate the, the tempo of the game as well. Yeah. Yeah, 100%, Mike, I agree. Yeah. I think I think that you mentioned the Arsenal game there and I think that little cameo, cameo we did at Arsenal, for me, shows exactly what we've been missing mm-hmm. because also we hadn't had him for that long and I, I would describe our midfield, our centre midfield, I know it's been decimated by injuries but the likes of Delph and others like that, I think they're very safe. They're very safe midfielders. Very like you know sideways, sideways, sideways all the time. I think what Andre gives us is a completely different dimension. He can switch the play with either foot. You know what I mean? And and he did that regularly when he came on against Arsenal. I think he he played with Charleston in two or three times as well down the left hand side, just with his range of passing. I think I can see I can I can see Ancelotti. Um, having him as an integral part of that team. If you look at that Milan team he had and the Milan team he created playing a similar system, 4-4-2 there, he had, he had legs around Pirlo and he had obviously Gattuso running around snapping people and then giving it to someone like Pirlo, who's, you know, not saying him and Andre are exactly the same, but they've both got, you know, a very strong range of passing, haven't they? You know, almost like a quarterback type role. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you need, you need someone like that around you. You mentioned Gattuso there, someone... Someone that can just yeah break play up and do the ugly the ugly bit because those those players they're the players that are told by by people like Ancelotti you win the ball you give it to someone better than you and yeah, exactly that. those type of players understand exactly what that role is. Kutuso you know great footballer, but when they say you give it to the likes of Pirlo you only get you know a, a couple of, a couple of those and each team will have that player who. They know they can, like you say, switch the play and and break the lines and and pop it off. And yeah, we need someone like that. We need someone that can just break up that play. And I I hadn't watched much of of Gabam and I, I don't know much about him. Um, but 
I was led to believe, yeah, that that's the type of player he is, and he's a, and he's quite he's technical as well. So you know, losing Garnagay was was massive, but you know at least we've got someone that can slot in. But then it's it's you know it hasn't it hasn't worked out. And you mentioned some of the some of the midfield options there and the safety of it. You haven't really got someone in there that's that's a like a destroyer and like legs there as well. It, like you say, it's it's very back and forth. Side to side, play it back to the fullbacks, and and um, yeah, the yeah he, definitely, he definitely needs a player in there with legs around him, doesn't he? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think I think it'd be remiss of us as well not not to mention at at this point that the man who brought on Zay Gomez in was Marco Silva, and obviously Marco Silva, um, Portuguese himself, someone who came in now for for a lot of us, I think a lot of people. We're fairly satisfied with the appointment of Marco Silva. I know we were as a as a collective three, and we were given a bit of stick quite often as time went on over Silva because we backed him. We wanted Silva to succeed. We thought the appointment would be a decent appointment for the club, and he could take us forward. You know, a young manager. Um, you know, hopefully with the right idea and so on. But what what are your thoughts, Aaron, on, on why with with Marco Silva did it not work out at the club? I think when the the biggest thing with with silver is that when it when it started going wrong, it it went it went on too long. It it, it hung around the club for too long. It felt like when I mean I, I was funnily enough when when you spoke to me about doing the podcast and stuff, I went back on the website because I'll be honest, I try and write about Everton as little as as I can on the website because I feel like sometimes. My bias will can come can come across, so I, I like to not not mix the two. But I, I I produced an article last season on 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 Silver the, the the first season in charge, and I called it a tale of two derbies because I thought that was that was what I felt the season was. I felt like going into going into the first derby, obviously the the now known known as the Arigi derby. Um, you know, we were going. I think we were sixth going into it, and you know, we were we were playing amazing football. But it, you know, it looked okay. You could see the signs, and we were going into the derby, and then that happens, and then the run that we went on after it, it felt like it was it was so hard to sort of shake off this poor form. And then we played them in the in the draw, and then that's when we went on then to we had the games against Chelsea, and we had the the four nil nearly end of the season against United, and we played Arsenal and. I think uh, was it at that time we went away to to West Ham. We won two 0 but it could have been about nine 0 We yeah, absolutely yeah. battered them, like battered them. I hadn't seen us play like that for years, and I thought you come away with a two 0 away away win, especially for the way our away form has been. You think yeah, you take that, but you thought we should have absolutely put them to the sword that day. And then I ended the article saying, you know. This is the type of football Everton can play under Silver, and with, with the right with the right players, you know, we can do you know decent things next season. And then next season rolls around. I think the one thing that that stuck out, and this isn't the main reason for his departure, but the set pieces we seem like under Silver. Every time we used to get a set, every time we used to concede the set piece, we used to concede, and it was. You know, do you go with my marker and do, do you stay, do you stick with zonal, do you stick to your principles? And I felt like that was one of the biggest, not just that, but it's the, the principles. A lot of people felt that he was, he was very, he was very single-minded 
he he liked his formations. He liked to have the team set up the way he liked it. He wouldn't really differ. But when I was looking at the formations, he was trying to juggle things around a bit. He, he, he was 4-2-3-1 and then 4-3-3 and, and, you know, 4-1-2-1-2 and, and, and trying to make it narrower and trying to make it wider. And he was trying to make things happen. But at the end of the day, I think when things aren't going well in football, as a manager, that must be the hardest thing because it seems like it just keeps going and going and going and going and and, and not to bring uh, not to bring a cop ice up on the podcast, but it was it was uh, it was Klopp. I remember Klopp around that time. I think it was before Silver got sacked. It was because remember we all thought Silver was going to go and and Pochettino went and Emery went and and Kike Sanchez Flores went and it was like Everton are never going to pull the trigger and Klopp. I think it was in response to. Pochettino, East Klopp said, the worst thing isn't sacking a manager, it's it's the it's the moments before it. It's what the club feels like before it. And I felt like when when we were going the game, Silver knew that he was going to be sacked. The fans knew that he was going to be sacked. But it just didn't happen. And it was sort of like Everton wanted them to turn the results around. We don't want to sack you, but you need to turn it around. But I feel like once that that negativity seeps in, and I mean as blues as well. We're not the best. You know, when things <laughs> when things aren't going well, and I can I can say that that I'm an Evertonian. I, I, do you know what I mean? I, I'm a season to holder. I know exactly what it's like when things aren't going well. It seems like there's people in the ground that love it when it's not going well. It's they, they feed off it, and, and it really feels like that sometimes. And and I think with him, even when we used to get a decent result, whenever that was, he didn't look the, he didn't look the same. He looked. He was on the touchline and he looked like a man who knew his days were numbered. And, and even when we did win a game, or even when we, you know, we got a decent point maybe away from home, it sort of felt like, yeah, but so what? Because because we're never gonna build anything. And then and then, like you guys said, then you, you got a bit of stick. You had, you know, that positivity. I tried to stick with him for as long as as long as I could. Might be because I had an ulterior motive as well, because I, I remember sitting in the ground. Watching them not only as a as a as an Everton fan, but also I really wanted them to succeed. I I, I thought he did a really good job when he was at when he was at Sporting. He he he, he was he led them to third place. He got them in the Champions League. He won the cup. He won their first cup since about two thousand and eight. And I thought you know he's a good up and coming manager. He's young. He, you know he seems like quite tactically flexible. But then. It just didn't happen for him, and and I, I I've pieced together. I tried to piece together why, but I'm still none the wiser. But I'd like to know what as Evertonians without that, you know, Portuguese bias. And you you say you wanted to stick with them. Why was that? What do you think went wrong? Um, I'll I'll jump in first. I think I think with with Silver, I think as you say, the set pieces started to show. We could see in the city goals. He wasn't changing things quick enough for a lot of people in the ground as well. You know, there was always an issue with making substitutions too late. He seems to be a little bit one-dimensional in many people's eyes. And there was a lot of talk on um, on social media about saying he was never the right fit for the club. Should have never been brought in. He hasn't, he hasn't been proven to, to be a winner, etc., etc. And, uh, you know, from, from my viewpoint personally... I thought at the time, I mean, he was always going to come in, wasn't he? After what happened with us trying to get him from Watford initially, um, he was always the man lined up to to come in. And, you know, that's, you want to trust what the, what the board and what the owner are trying to do. And 
they thought the, the the correct route to take was to bring in a young manager. Um, he'd, he'd done obviously bits and pieces in in Greece and Portugal, and you know he'd won things in in both those countries and what have you. He'd had a couple of stabs at sides in the Premier League, and you know to be fair, things with Watford started particularly well. And um, as soon as the talk of Everton came in, that's when it went downhill for them, didn't it? Um, yeah. But I just think I, I think maybe because a lot of you Everton fans, like you say, Everton fans, sort of almost not like, but a lot of people do sort of thrive off that negativity. You know, I want the club to succeed, I want the club to win trophies, and and sometimes you just got, you've got to have a little bit of the key word is patience. And we were saying all the time, let's have a little bit of patience with him, let's see what he can try and do, let's give him say four or five transfer windows, and let's see where we are then. Um, I think with some people, because we haven't won a trophy since 1995, that instant success is almost wanted all the time. I think obviously now, obviously with, with Carlo being brought in, he's an absolute. He's a winner, isn't he? He's done. He's done it all around Europe. He's an he's an absolute superstar manager. So straight away, because it's Carlo Ancelotti, that will buy him time, even in the in the bad the bad games and the bad periods. Whereas Silver, in many people's eyes, he wasn't proven as a winner for them. And when he'd been in the Premier League already, he had failed. Yeah. Well, no, I agree. I I, I agree with that. <clears throat> I do agree with that. I think. We were all silver supporters, like you, Aaron. You know, we we all we pretty much started the podcast when we were in a massive rut, and then we went on that run that you just described. You know, where we beat. You know, we were, Sky were constantly throwing at us. We haven't been any any of the top five since 1955 and stuff like that, weren't they? All that rubbish. Yeah, you know I mean, and then obviously we went on a run and beat United. We beat Arsenal. We beat Chelsea. Um, for that reason, uh, and, uh, and and you know that that derby you described the Origi derby there. That's the best I've seen us play at Anfield in a long time. Mm. I'm talking about standing up to him toe to toe and yeah. playing footy, not 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 trying to hang on and try and nick a point or try and nick a win or something. We went there and we we played him off the pitch for most of that game, certainly the first half. Mm. And obviously Gomez was outstanding in that game uh, and should have scored. He missed that sit, didn't he, with his yeah. header? Oh. But um, but I think the, the footy we played under Silver and I could see the you know the picture he was trying to paint. That's why I thought we needed to give him the time. And unfortunately, like you said, we've got a lot of, obviously, you know, certain generations of footy fans at Everton who, you know, go to every home and away game. They've got every right to have an opinion, as I have. And, you know, they're used to the 80s footy. And as soon as we hit a bit of a bad patch, if the manager, like you said, Mike, hasn't got a bit of pedigree, because people will say, oh, yeah, he's Watford's manager. He took, he took um, what do you call it? He took, uh, which team did he take down? Holt. Holt down. You know what I mean? Why, why, are we, why are we getting managers from there and all that? All that starts coming out of the woodwork rather than looking at his record before that, which was exceptional for a young manager in Europe. You know what I mean? That's, so, that's the frustrating thing, though, isn't it? He, Everton played some brilliant football at times under Marco Silva. You know, you look at that when we beat United at home, uh, we absolutely turned them over and we were glorious that day. You know, our attacking play, how quickly we moved the ball, everybody on board with a, a philosophy which is what we've been gagging for at Everton for years isn't it a footballing identity and I just think the scale of the job in front of Marco Silva was I think almost too too big too fast and really unlucky you know look at what happened to him with injuries like like you said before with um with Gabbanon you know Garner's replacement yeah there were, there were times under Marco Silva where I thought gosh just give this fella a bit of time and a few more players and this could really work out. And I, I was gutted for him when he, um, yeah, he was. had to go. It was the right decision that he had to go, but I was, I was really disappointed it didn't work yeah. out. Never, never. 
he's 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 he he is unlucky. He has he's had an unlucky career to be honest. He seems he's not cursed. He's he's done well. But even even like you go back to the the sporting job when he was there, he he led them to third place and then won the cup. The fans were made up, and then they realised that George uh, Jesus JJ from from Benfica was available and. They wanted them because he, he was a winner, so they got rid of silver and they sat they cited they said it was because he didn't he, he didn't wear the correct uh, suit the correct uniform. So in in Portugal they have they have like obviously they have the club club official suits and then the managers have to wear the captain's armband as well. They wear like a manager's armband whether you're in a in a, in a you know in a tracksuit manager or whether you're in, in the suit or you've got to wear the official the official uniform. And I think they said. Something about not having the captain's armband on, and he didn't have the right blazer on, or something. And he gave him a. F- <laughs> this is just mad because I always think most Everton fans don't e- will not know stuff like this. He gave him a four hundred page, uh, like dossier, and and which was cited like the the English translation was basically just cause, and it was four hundred pages of the tiniest little infractions. He basically to say. We've got every right to get rid of you because of all these little things. Whereas if if JJ weren't available, they'd have been happy with him to just carry on winning trophies and 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 getting themselves in a good position. He said like he he was he was late for a team meeting on one like day after something or like after after playing away from home and and that um, his attitude sometimes in, in in board meetings and it was like all these it was like someone throughout his entire tenure. Was you know every time you do something slightly wrong, yeah, I'm gonna mark like in school, yeah, I'm gonna mark that down and mark that down. Basically, 400 pages and went. We've got more than enough reason to get rid of you, so he couldn't, he couldn't claim like you know unfair dismissal or whatever. Obviously, in football, it's a bit different, but it was just like there's a better man for the job, Sarah. And then obviously he went to England. I remember. I don't know whether this is just like rose tinted, you know, glasses or whatever, but I remember him. He took hold down, but everyone was like. He did really well with them because that job seemed impossible, and and he he put in some good performances and he beat did he beat some of the top sides, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He beat United. That was yeah. it, yeah. yeah. And and I remember thinking, oh, he's he's had a bit of bad luck this fella, and then he goes to Watford and he, he's flying with them, and then even us declared our interest in him. That's like a little bit of bad luck on his part because if we didn't get involved, what what he might have went on and, and had a really good season with Watford and and had a, a good second season and third season. But obviously in football, you know, if a, a club comes calling, especially one that's you know like a, of a of a you know like a bigger stature, no, no disrespect to Watford, but someone comes in, your head is going to get turned. And I think that for everyone was the point where you know even Watford when they tried to have a go at Everton and try and claim that. You know, we were the reason why their season basically went went a went a bit AWOL. But even that, and then and then I I read an article. I remember after it happened, after he'd been sacked, and someone I can't remember who it was. It might have been for the Times. Someone put together um, the VAR decisions, how many VAR decisions had went against Everton, and and the points that we had saved from that. And and like you just look, yeah. I mean, you you do start nitpicking and looking at little things. But it did seem he was very, very unlucky, and the, the players on the pitch with the injuries and with the VAR decisions, it was, it just didn't seem like it was going to work. And I mean, I don't know what's next for him. I, I don't know whether, 
you know, he was linked with a couple of clubs back in Portugal, and and like you say, he's a young coach, so he's young enough to to be able to go back to Portugal and still be considered a young coach because he's in his. I mean, he was how old was he? Was at us? Was he like forties? I think he's still eighty-four. Yeah, forty-three. Yeah, yeah. I think. I think he was 37 at Sporting, and that was in 2000. And... When was that? Yeah, he's 42 now, Marco Silva. Yeah. So he's still yeah, he's still 42. Yeah, Some yeah. players stop playing at 36 and 37 and go into co- coaching at 40. And they, you know, look at Lampard. Lampard's this beginner, this newcomer who's just come into football, and Silva's 42, and he's already been around the block. He's coached in in you know three different countries, but. I don't know what's next for him. I, I was a little bit gutted it didn't work out. But even towards the end, even I was like, look, you know, this is going to happen. Just get it over and done with because there's like to bring that clock quote up again. It felt like it was just manifesting round the ground. It was even when things were going well, well, yeah, but he's going to get the sack soon anyway. So, you know, and yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't as bad as Martinez levels, was it? But it was getting there. It was, yeah, it was. It was getting there. That, yeah. that inevitability. Yeah, well, is he well thought of in Portugal, mate? Yeah, he's 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 thought of as 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 a you know a good a good young coach. But the thing is with 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 the Portuguese people is that because there's so many good coaches that come out of Portugal. I mean, I don't know if any studies have been have been done on it. I don't know whether that's something for me in the future, like a a, a long piece. But they they production of managers pay must be like per capita per especially within the professional game he seems to just go out and do well so it's sort of like well no he's not performing at the same level as like an Anze Villas-Boas or even like a, a Paolo Fonseca at, at Roma so it's sort of like he's forgotten about a little bit but I think you know if he went back there he'd do a good job you've seen coaches that have been in England and then go back to Portugal you've got Carlos Carvajal who was in he was in uh, he was in you know English English football for a bit He's went back. He's doing a really good job at Rio Ave, and, and he's he's demonstrated that he he can be a good coach, Do you know. And 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 I think in Portugal there's a big difference between a coach and a manager. They have like a there's a very big differentiation between the two. And a lot of the thing in Portugal is, you know, is he more of a coach than he is a a, a leader of the team of a manager? Has he got you know the personality to go with it? Because I think some some people think consider him a little bit flat. A little bit like, you know, in his press conferences and stuff. But that's just what I've. That's the vibe I've got from the people in Portugal, anyway. I think I think with him as we we sort of said at the time, didn't we? With with Silver, I think we should he should have been marked as maybe a little bit better because we knew not about Marco Silver as as a man, did we? You know, like you say, sometimes he might be come across as a little bit flat in press conferences and interviews and so on. Um, but you know, you look at previous managers, the likes of say Martinez, as much as obviously it sort of went the way it did with him. No one knew about Martinez. How we, how we, you know, in his house, he'd have numerous screens with footy on. His wife would be watching the soaps, and Roberto would be would be at home with all different footy matches on, analysing previous games. He'd be at the training ground until nine at night and things. So we all knew about Martinez. He was quite a, a personable man, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Marco Silva. He didn't know anything about him. He didn't know anything about his his, his private life, so to speak, his family setup as such. And that, that was maybe his choice. But you look at where we are now with, with Carlo Ancelotti, and as much as he's a superstar manager, we know a lot about Carlo. We you know we we he's been embraced by the fans, you know, 
very, very yeah. well. But he's embraced the club and he's come out and he's said a lot of a lot of good things. And you know, he, he seems to be um, sort of very vocal and, and, and loved by the players as well. And I think that's that's where I think maybe as a club, not not that it maybe wouldn't have given him much more time, but I think we let him down a little bit as as a, as a club, and maybe could have done a little bit more for him in that aspect. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, we loved Martinez, didn't we? You would think about like the the bad times, but I mean, like that first season, it was it was it was his personality, and it was you know he he just seemed like he said he seemed so obsessed with football and and. And, you know, we loved what we were seeing on the pitch, but we also, especially, like, on social media, uh, which was, which was like, obviously it was around before then, but you got to think it was huge, that Martinez first season. And I remember, like, on Twitter, people were just absolutely in love with him. And it, it was like, he loved us. He loved the Evertonians. He loved the club. And, and I think managers that do invest themselves, not only just in, in the start of 11, but they invest themselves in the club. I mean, people love Ancelotti because some of the first things he said when he got here was uh, the atmosphere. He said, oh, I've never heard anything like that. And it's like, he's heard some good atmosphere. It might not be. He might have heard a better atmosphere somewhere. But even fact to say that and to say it with such conviction, to say, I've never been greeted with a reception like that because he knows we, we're hungry for success and he knows we've went so long without a trophy and he knows that in terms of profile, he's managed clubs much, much bigger. But... He's come to a club where he knows the fans. You say about patience before. The fans will be willing to 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 take his word for everything. I mean, how many times have... I, I'm guilty of it. How many times in the ground as he went to make a substitution and you think, is he playing out of here? Because like, some of his substitutions have been a little bit suspect. But then there's another voice in my head that goes, that's Carlo Ancelotti. Yes, so he, he can do what... He can take whoever he wants off. And because you've got... You feel like as a fan... You shouldn't because all managers are all you should they're all UA for badge coaches. They're all they all know to some degree what they're doing. But for some reason with someone like Marco Silva or even with Martinez, when they make a substitution, you feel like you've got more of an opinion on it because they haven't done as much. Which is is mad to think of, but then the you talk about the patient side of it and having patience. You compare it to a player. So if we sign someone like I don't know. Say we signed when we signed David Clarson, and well, not even David Clarson because he came as a reputation. Obviously, he did good things at Ajax. But say we sign a player that you haven't really heard of. They play in, you know, I don't know, the, maybe the Portuguese league or the Dutch league, and they come in and you watch them play in seven or eight games, and they're just not cutting it. You can tell they're not at the right standard. The patience that you'll give that player is a lot less than if we sign someone like. I don't know. There was rumours of like Coutinho coming. So imagine he comes into the team, and he, you know, he's a little bit rusty. He hasn't been playing as much as he has as he'd like to at Bayern. And he comes in, and he has the same caliber of performances as this unknown player. He's going to get a lot more time purely because you go, well, we know he can do it in the Prem because he's done it against us. We've seen him do it. We've seen him do it for Liverpool. We, and even though he might be a couple of years older, that experience and what you do and how many trophies you win. You know, and how many medals you've got, that does give you a bit more time. On on the on the basis of it, it shouldn't. But it does, that's just the way it is. I think Ancelotti, that even the the last game we played was was the four 0 against Chelsea, wasn't it? And we we just didn't turn up that day. But even then you think if that was another manager in charge, you, your reception would have been a lot worse. But it, sometimes you've just got to put your hands up and go, 
he's working. He's got he's got a plan. He's got this experience. He knows how to win things. You've just got to be patient with him. And I do think to our credit as well, I think we have been a lot more patient purely because we know there might be something at the end of it. There might be a, a little reward for our patients. He'll need at least at least two years, won't he? Like, yeah. You'd like to think as fans will give him at least two years. I mean, you are right. I mean, Goodison sometimes is not a nice place to be when the team's not playing well. I mean, players have come out and, 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 and spoke about that, haven't they? You know what I mean? Players yeah. have come out saying, when the fans are behind you, it's the best thing ever because they'll literally lift you. But when it's the opposite, it's almost a massive negative, isn't it? You know what I mean? And it's more than any other ground, I think, in the Premier League as well because the fans are so passionate, so loyal. You know, they've seen, like I said, a lot of them have seen success. They demand high standards. got no problem with that. But sometimes patience is one of our worst attributes, I think, as a fan yeah. base. Hmm. It is, it is, and and you know, like like we've, we've touched on Carlo quite a bit there, and we, we've said already, he will be given that time and and the respect that the man deserves after what he's what he's done uh, for a variety of clubs around around Europe. He's won the lot, and you know, for us to get him, it was a massive a massive coup. But also shows the ambition, I think, of the of the owner, um, the chairman, etc. So for us to actually make that step, which we've been striving for for a number of years, make that step to that that next level. Um, but I mean to, to sort of just move forward and to, to to wrap things up, we we don't know yet how this season's going to finish, and there's still question marks. They've got a vote coming up. They all the Premier League clubs about returning to training and and basically saying yes or no to the to the protocols which are being brought in there. We saw German football return. This weekend, you know, we we've seen I think one home win out of all the German games, so it's it seems to be taking away the advantage of playing at home. The the wiping the balls at half time with disinfectants, um, the play the substitutes are two meters apart with a mask on on the, on the bench. You know, Portugal have they they've given haven't they already that they're going to come back as of the fourth of June. They're looking to to restart yeah. games over in Portugal. I think that as a country, they probably handled the the current COVID nineteen situation a lot better in terms of the cases that they've had. So they're ahead of the game there. What what what's it what's it like over there? What what have you heard in terms of the the public opinion about football starting up again? Um, well, see, the thing is with with Portugal, it's a very it's very divisive in terms of if it's rivalry. The rivalries are quite they're not quite bitter. They're very very bitter. So at the minute, you've got. Porto at top of the league and they're, they're ahead by one point and obviously Benfica in, are in second and there's been lots of lots of fans and lots of people talking and saying if it was the other way around then it would have been cancelled and the title would have been given given to Benfica but the fact that it's, it's not that way and it was only the last game of the, uh, that was played that saw Porto go first I mean whether or not I agree with that it, you, you don't know what goes on behind the scenes sort of thing so I think a lot of the fans are just annoyed that it's it's going to go ahead but then also if it's going to go ahead and the players are fit and they're ready I'm sure when when they when the games come back on they'll be watching but they've as a country dealt with the crisis like remarkably well they got very low case numbers like very no death numbers but then last last week, I think they made the announcements, and about three days before the announcements, you had um, Fumilacau had a couple of players. I can't remember how many. I think it might have been four. 
Uh, Victoria had a couple who, who came out, and then Belenenses had an under twenty three player had came out and and had to go into quarantine, and then that only fueled this. It's all the teams that are near the bottom. You know, they don't want the season to go ahead. This whole narrative, and lots of people were saying, um, and lots of lots of Benfica fans were coming out and saying, you know, how do we even know these cases are real? And then the, the next day, a Benfica player got it. So it sort of shut all that up. It was like, okay, right, you've got all these mid-table and lower teams with these infections, but now now you've got one. Now what? Is it still the league's fault? Or So, I mean, I don't know. We're going back, going back, restarting the season, behind closed doors. I mean, a lot of people talk about the finances and, and, and the money. They're only doing it for the money, but sometimes, well... In most cases, these clubs aren't, aren't, aren't rich enough to to afford it to go under. And you look at the lower leagues in England and stuff, and people are saying, "Oh, they only want the league to go ahead because because of how much money they're going to get and stuff." But look at the Premier League. That's a, I mean, that's a different stratosphere of financial uh, power compared to Portugal. The main reason it's going behind is because those teams can't afford to not get paid. They can't afford to, to lose that money, and, and the players can't. And if the same thing is it's similar in Portugal. They want it to go ahead. It's going to go ahead. Hopefully, that the, those players who've got it recover it. You know, they'll they'll recover in time. And the fact I've said June fourth, it's give them a nice window. But I mean, what happens if you get to June third and June second, and 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 you know you get. You get more infections. How many infections does a team have to get? Or how many infections does the league have to get before they just turn around? You know what? No, scrap it. Just give give the... Uh, they, if they give the title to, to Porto, they'd have been absolute murder. They'd have been carnage if they'd have got that title because they were, you know, Benfica were ahead for, for long spells and then they go ahead by a point and... You know, there's a whole question of is it fair? It's a little bit different in England because obviously there's such a there's such an advantage that Liverpool have got over the rest of the league that I think even most people, most Evertonians, most people that I've spoken to, they're at that point now where they're just going. You know, if you want to finish the league and give them it, give them it. It's because it's it's bigger than that now. It's went past that. It's not just we don't want the season to go ahead because we don't like Liverpool. It's now all right. People are dying still. England haven't handled this well at all. So, you know, if you're going to go ahead with, with cancelling it and you're going to give out, a, a, you know, a league title, then then do it. And I think in Portugal, it's not it's not, it's not not like that. I think Lisbon as a, as a city would have went absolutely mental if it wouldn't have, if it wouldn't have went ahead. Um, but we'll have to see. We'll have to see when it comes back. And, and you know, hopefully... Uh, Hopefully Porto can can stay stay at the top. That's as that's as Aaron Barton, not as a uh, prosecutor. I like to keep it nice and nice and um, non-biased on, on the page, to be honest. But obviously, I've got I've got a personal preference. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it coming back, to be honest. And I hope hope it gets a bit more airtime because the TV. I was speaking to somebody yesterday or the day before on a, on a podcast, and I said that the TV rights. In England, it's they belong to Premier Sports and and the sister channel, Free Free Sports. Um, but it's very it's very un, it's very unusual. It's very unlikely that they have a, a a club outside the top three playing, and if they are playing, it's usually against one of the top three, and they they might have one game every fortnight or whatever. I think 
you know, the football's coming back. You own the exclusive rights to it. Put a couple more games on. At least get give people something to watch while you know while there's not much on. Especially free sports. Every te- every every television's got got free view on it. So, you know, it, it might be a good time to give some exposure to the league because it is it is a better league than people give it credit for. And and you know, it, it's very easy to write off a league if you haven't watched it. But you're seeing players come out of the league and they're going to other leagues and they're doing the things that they were doing in Portugal with just as much ease. I mean, there was there was a bit of a kick-off over so that BBC team of the season so far. A lot of people were annoyed with the inclusion of Bruno Fernandes, but, you know, it, it goes on votes once. So, you know, being angry about it's not going to take him out of the team. And also, too, you, you might disagree with his goals and assists and the fact that he's only played the five games or whatever, but... He came into that United side and he completely the trajectory that they went on. You could see it in the performances. He was he makes every other player in that United side better. So you're seeing these type of players come from Portugal and, and I don't know whether that'll give the league a little bit more credit, the fact that these players go on to other leagues and do well. But yeah, I'd say if you can if there's a game on and you've you know you've got nothing else on, even if it's two teams you've never heard of and you don't know who any of the players are. Just give it a watch because the chances are within two, three, four, four years, you've got 22 people on the pitch. You know, one or two of them are going to be playing near the top because that's what happens. Bernardo Silva couldn't get a game at Benfica. And, you know, he was sort of written off. He had to go to Monaco and then he went to Monaco and he, he got better and then he went to the Premier League. He's, he's one of the best players in the world now. He couldn't cut it in the Portuguese League. So... Yeah, that's my pitch for people to, to watch a bit of the Portuguese footy. <laughs> so, I think I'll have more, more, more people to, con- uh, to to conversate with on the uh, on the timeline. I think after seeing the German footy and that over the course of the weekend, and you know, I think I think people's biggest gripe about footy return in this country, you see a lot, especially on, on Everton Twitter, is this football out of fans is nothing, which is the, the biggest thing. And yeah, um, I, I, I'm I'm on board with that. I totally, you know, I'd love nothing more than to be able to go back to Goodison Park and watch, watch Everton play football, of course. It wouldn't, it's not safe to do so at this moment in time, of course. It's not. And unfortunately, and it's it, it's probably it's a difficult thing to think about, I think for the next sort of 12 months, I think this is the situation that we're going to be in when it comes to football. And the only way I think that we're going to see any kind of football is in that kind of situation where it's, it's on television, you've got more games aired, and, and we watch it and, it and it's behind closed doors. And, you know, it's not a great situation. As we've already said, there's been one home win in German football over the course of the weekend, I think, at time of recording, um, which is taking away that home advantage. You know, when when you've got, you know, a side down the bottom, we were playing a side at the top, home fans quite often are at that, that, that 12th man and do pull the side up that extra 2 or 3% to get something from the game. So that's a massive thing. And, I keep on hearing the, the the expression, you know, integrity of the league. And I think the integrity of the Premier League went a long, long time ago, to be honest with you. You know, I don't think that, that's the right expression to use. I, I think yeah. it's taken away the fan experience, of course it is. Um, but I do think that that is how it's going to go for the next for the next 12 months, unfortunately. Yeah, I totally agree. <clears throat> Aaron, just before we, before, we, before we finish up here, I know you did that, um, you mentioned it earlier about that poll about top five Portuguese players. Uh, I, I put my oar in on that as well, but I just wanted to get yours. What, what are your top five favourite players from 
you've seen come through then put you on the spot a bit there oh uh, yeah and it's 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 so difficult because i've got I've, i could probably give it a, like a top five for every single role and position within the team probably give it about 200 <laughs> players um obviously number one is is cristiano he's i mean i remember 2004 and i remember you mentioned before um you mentioned before, uh, Peter, about about uh, the low socks. Ronaldo did the uh, he did the opposite in two thousand four, if you remember. So you used to have you used to you had the footy socks, and then when you used to pull them to the top, they'd have like the little line where it tells you where to fold over. So the socks were red, well maroon, and then you had the green line, and you used to fold it over, and they give you like a little green. And every player folded them up dead neat. And Ronaldo he used to pull up the the green bit. So it go right up his like up his knee towards his thigh. He'd have look like tights. And I remember I had that kit with those socks, and I used to pull them right, pull them right up, <laughs> right as high as I could get them. And I had a, um, I had I had the uh, yeah I had the vapors. I had the mercurial vapors, and I had a pair of bright bright yellow total nineties. I had like proper. I had pro- like longer hair than this. This when everyone had a skinhead as well. I had hair like that here. <laughs> I used to have a hairband in, and I, I, you know, I was very for someone that was playing in a in a for a team based in Netherly, I was very continental. Let's just say, <laughs> um, it didn't go down well sometimes with the opposing dads, but look, it is what it is. I've always been, I've, I've always been an individual in that regard, and yeah, so I get away from the point a little bit, but I just thought I'd share that. Um, Someone, remember, by the way, yeah. someone like Pete, someone like Pete, if he saw you on the pitch, would have snapped you inside five minutes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I used to doubt you being a centre back. Yeah, you can't I, train that. I used to. Um, yeah, I was. I mean, I was. I was never any good. Like I, I used to just get nailed constantly. But I used to play le- left. I used to play left wing. I used to cut in. I used to watch. I used to just watch him and think. And especially like. A lot of people give the the later years, even at United, the later years, you know, the oh eight oh nine Ronaldo when he when he came when he came and he developed and he become, you know, he got bigger physically and and he he started releasing the ball a little bit early and he become a little bit more intelligent and everyone's like that is the better Ronaldo. It's the more productive. He gets you more goals and more assists. But I remember watching that first season. Uh, at United and I remember obviously his, his games for Portugal and I just remember because he there was times when he just took far too many touches he should have released it earlier but I just I loved it I loved the unnecessary step overs I loved the fact that he used to do skills when he didn't need to because I remember that was the type of thing I used to just love watching that and I think well if he would have slipped you know, Van Nistelrooy and United could have scored, but I went watching for United. I was, I was what I, you know, I didn't give two hoots about United. I, I cared about Ronaldo. He, he, so he was, he was the number, he's the number one. And then I liked it when Wayne Rooney polaxed him at Old Trafford. Ah, <laughs> oh, I remember that. Put him in the billboards, didn't he? Oh, was yeah. shocker! Absolute shocker! Wow. Yeah. Sorry, mate. He got, got took out, especially in them those. Uh, those, did that Rooney one? Did, does he doesn't he does he skip past him at first and then Rooney just comes over? Is it then? Just cleans him out. I think yeah. it's that one. Yeah, just totally cleans him out, doesn't he? Completely. It's when he used to do. It's when he used to do those, and like you said, unnecessary. He used to do tricks when there was nobody near him, didn't he? Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. He used to he used to he used to get the ball, and he used to do this little skill where it was like 
like a step over. So he'd step over one way and he, he did the ball with his heel and, you know, like clip yeah. it onto the other heel. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, there's absolutely no need to do that. But was I doing it on the Bellevale field on a Sunday? Yes, I was. <laughs> right? and, and, and maybe that was the big hindrance in my career is that I weren't productive enough. But I, I used to think, just skip past the man, get to the bar line. You've already went past your man. But go instead of putting the cross in, you go back and do him again and try and do him again. Because I used to just like love that. Like I said, I was rubbish. But he, 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 you know, watching him just and then obviously you see what he becomes. You see, and he just become an, an absolute machine. And and you know, you see any United, you see them all on the telly, like your Gary Neville's, you know, Rio Ferdinand's, Rooney's. They all say that it was just, it was it was his hard work. He always had talents, but. It was that perseverance, that hard work. So yeah, Ronaldo number one, definitely. Um I'd like to like I'd like to be able to say, you know, Eusebio is the second best Portuguese player ever, but I didn't watch him. I've watched all I've watched the Champions League finals and I've I've watched the sixty six World Cup. I've watched the Matt Goodison in that game uh, against the uh, Korea and but you know it's just an honourable mention because I think I'll only put players in that I, that I've seen. Um one that I said on Twitter is definitely up there is Charisma. And a lot of people go, you know, play, you know, loads of players have had better careers than him. But again, it's that same type of, as a kid, that was the type of player that I used to love watching. I used to practice the uh, the Trevea, the outside of the foot uh, pass. I used to just love, like, emulating him and Ronaldo. And I always thought, and loads of people as well at, at Sporting Things Academy, say that when he came through, he was a lot better than Ronaldo was. Technically, he was a lot better. He was more gifted as a footballer, but just one worked harder and, and, and the other one didn't. But he was still, even now, he's still magical. He came he came back to Porto after being in Turkey for a bit and he was still just amazing. He, he came back, he played against, I don't know if you remember the game, he played against Bayern in the Champions League and beat Bayern 3-1 at home. And he scored two within like a couple of minutes past Neuer. And this was only in like 2015, I think. And I, I, he still got it. He still got it. He still got it now. Um, who else? Deco. Uh, Deco is, is to me, has got to put Rui Costa in there as well. Probably see more of Deco because because of that time period you were speaking about, you know, the, the Italian league and when the Italian league was in his was in its prime and, and you know, I didn't see Rui Costa at, at Fiorentina. I didn't I didn't see him there. I, I I was I was too young for that. But yeah, and I loved watching him in the later years and then he went back to Benfica. He was there in, in two thousand and six, I think. Uh, he won the league, two thousand six oh seven, I think. But yeah, Deco. How many are we on now? We're on four now. And then four. and then the the fifth one. I don't want to leave anyone out. So, no, I'm going to say it. Fifth one is uh, Ricardo Cavallo. I absolutely loved Ricardo Cavallo. I, I think that first season at Chelsea, I mean, he conceded, I don't know the number off the top of my head, I mean, was it about 11 goals or 12 goals all season? And he was he was that compliment to, to, to Terry. You know, you, knew what, you know what John Terry's going to give you, you know what type of player he is. But then you've got... Carvalho alongside him that can do the other stuff and he can defend, you know, and he had a decent pass on him and, and he was just so tough, but so tough in a Portuguese way. 
So he still had that little bit of that little bit of you know exuberance about him. But then there's so many. I mean, Ed has got to be on my list, and he for for one moment he's got to be on there just for one moment. You know, I loved Manny Fernandez as a kid. Uh, Simao, I loved Simao. Um, Pauletta, Nuno Gomes. I got to interview Nuno Gomes recently, and uh, I was like, and that's like a like a, a Benfica legend as well. So I'm not supposed to even be. That's like interviewing Gerard, but um, but it, you know, he, he was he was amazing as well. So yeah, that's my top. I don't know how many I named there. Probably about eight. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah, that's me. Was it that you know what what, what a great what, what a great pick you know and it and it's you know you, you did the vote a few weeks ago and it was it was good to go through those names and see obviously what yeah. people are picking out it takes you back to to that you know the, the quality Portuguese side of it you know say 10, 15 years ago but I'm going to be an absolute pleasure to have you on the show we really really enjoyed all the talk about Portuguese football and, and Everton and, and crossovers and everything in between mate so really appreciate you coming on. No worries. Thanks very much for having me, lads. I, uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. Looking forward to, to coming back on. I'll have to come back on. Um, hopefully, we, we sign a couple of uh, Carlo. Carlo starts watching the Premier League <laughs> and I'll get, get a couple of players in for next year. That's it. Hopefully, when you're on, on next, maybe we, we can meet in person and do it all uh, oh, yeah. in a much yeah. more social environment. But like I say, thanks thanks for coming on and thanks everyone for, for listening to this this episode. And We'll be back over the next, next couple of weeks with another the lockdown special, so we'll, we'll catch you then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues, three opinions, one Everton podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.